and welcome to another Simple Politics podcast. It's the final week of the 2022-2023 parliamentary session. Aww. But I'm your host, Charlotte John, and with me I have my wonderful colleagues, Tatton Spiller and Diane Daniels, and we're going to tell you all that's been going on. How are you guys? Ooh, we get surnames oh, I today. Know. That's very, that's very formal. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I think I accidentally just said my surname, and then I was like, "Well, I can't just give my surname. That's weird." So oh, here we go. Go. I, I, I like to be under the radar. Don't, don't give away anything. <laughs> yeah, don't, t- don't tell me your name, Pike. Whatever, <laughs> whatever the line is. Oh yeah. How are your half terms going? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, I never want to speak of half term ever again. <laughs> there you go, the full, so the full spectrum. Two ends of the spectrum yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, well, mine's, you know, the usual, usual pre-Halloween pumpkin, all that jazz. But mm. also, my village has been news on the news. Like, we've had actual ITV calendar, I think it is. Calendar is the local one. We've had BBC, we've had people... And it reminded me quite a lot of part of your new book, Tatten. So this is a good plug, yeah, Ooh. because um, Ooh. because it's an, it's because it was rubbish because <laughs> it's a net zero thing. Um, so our our huge issue here at the minute is a proposal for an offshore wind farm that we can see, but as many miles offshore. Um, but the piping, the infrastructure from it has to come through our village or that's the proposal. And it's really funny because it's that whole thing and you describe it really well in your book, but it's, yeah, we want renewable energy. We're all pretty done with that. That's really good. But we do not want 90 HGVs going through the village for two years, you know? So, Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got we've got a, a, a field near us, um, and I've got to be honest, it's a pretty beautiful field, and they just want to go whoomp, with uh, solar panels, right, and also storage batteries, mm. and the village that everybody moved to because it's beautiful are completely up in arms, but at the same people, the same people would say they want net zero, would say they want to reduce emissions. And, and we've, got that, we've got the same thing with housing at the moment. This kind of nimbyism is the term, but it's everyone agrees we need new houses. Everyone agrees we need to move to, to net zero. We need more. And nobody wants it where they are. So, so yeah, it's really tough. Uh, actually, um, the thinking before, I know we need to get on with the thing properly, but what I've done mostly with my half term is shut my four children in a small room with uh, a bag of popcorn and I've worked in- incredibly hard on our new shop. So www. You don't really need to say that bit, I don't think. You really don't. Uh, spstuff.co.uk. spstuff.co.uk is where you can find the new shop and when you're looking at it first what's first going to hit you is this is so professional and so cool what a great (laughs) job he did and the second thing is if you sniff and put your ear really closely to the computer you'll hear the tears of my children as uh, they're abandoned uh, so that I could do it Uh, so if you like smelling misery through your computer or your phone it doesn't matter um and also really professional beautiful shop so with lots of great stuff spstuff.co.uk on the information superhighway is where you need to go 
Quick disclaimer, no children were actually harmed during the creation of the SP shop. Please don't worry. <laughs> I think technically that's true. Yeah, fine. There we go. Right, we're safe. Okay. Before we get started, uh, some of you have asked if Kobe's okay. Because we said that he'd be off for a few weeks and now it's been many, many weeks <laughs> uh, since you last hosted the podcast. Kobe's stepping back from hosting the podcast, but he will be popping back occasionally. Uh, and he's still our brilliant producer. So we couldn't do this without him. And yeah, we just want to do a big shout out to our gladiator, Kobe. Aww. Thank you, Kobe, for everything you do. Thanks, Cobes. You're not my gladiator, but I mean, I know you're on the show, so that's that's kind of, that's cool. Like, I think that was a bit of a strong, strong shout from uh, from Charlotte. But you know, Look, I mean, like, obviously, we love you. Obviously, just our gladiator a bit more. <laughs> Look, I just, look, I'm just being nice at him, you know. Oh, I don't understand. This is, this is what it's like to be I nice. I think it's a really good test as well. It's a test for Kobe. Does he hear this shout out or does he not? Does he actually yeah. listen to the shout? Perfect. Yeah. The ultimate. I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. He tells us that he enjoys the podcast. So this, yeah, we'll find out if he's being truthful or not. Right. Should we, I mean, we're six minutes in. Should we do the yeah, podcast let's now? let's do it. Yeah. I was, I was about to say that. Thanks, Tatum. Let's move on to the first section, <laughs> six minutes in, uh, of the top post of the week. So, Tatten, what has been our third most popular post of the week? Before we just get into that, I, I wasn't sure if I've mentioned spstuff.co.uk yet. Have I mentioned spstuff.co.uk? You have mentioned it. Well done. Just, um, that was on my to-do list. Well done, me. <laughs> Tick. Um, right, in at three, we've got the real living wage, uh, which isn't the same as the national living wage. So uh, the Labour government introduced uh, the minimum wage uh, when they were in power, and the government heard of this living wage thing. And so they, they changed it completely by calling it something slightly different. And they now say they invented the living wage, which is quite quite some uh, verbal gymnastics. But there is also, but so so what used to be called the living wage is now they call the real living wage, and it is a couple of pounds an hour more because to really live, you need to have a bit more money, and the minimum wage is it's, it's hard to live on, especially like in London. There's no London waiting on the the minimum wage. Yeah, so it's tough. So there's this thing called the living, the real living wage. And <clears throat> it's not just a theoretical thing. Companies actually sign up to it. Like big companies like Nestle and Nationwide and Ikea and uh, Chelsea Football Club. Um, not Arsenal. <laughs> so it's a genuine thing. And hundreds of thousands of people got a pay rise this week when the real living wage went up to £12 an hour outside London and £13.15 inside London. So that is, if you work full-time, that's a minimum of three grand a year extra. And that's not nothing, and it makes a real difference. And on the BBC page, uh, while I was reading about it, they had an interview with someone who was just like, I can treat myself. Mm. I can even maybe go on holiday. Yeah. And, well, it was nice. It's obviously nice to have this real living wage. But the idea that people are working full-time 
and can't trick themselves. Mm. It's pretty bleak. But yeah, I but this real living wage, uh, it's not compulsory, but companies are doing it, and I think that's rather great. Nice. Oh, it also includes, because I was trying to find holes in it, it also includes subcontracted work. Oh, cool. So cleaners and caterers nice, and, you know, all the yep. people who, you know, are often not part of a public of a company's pay. If to be certified as a real living wage employer, you need to ha- be paying your cleaners as well. It's good. Nice. Oh, I like starting off with a nice story. Yeah. Diane, what have we got in it too? Surely not more stories about people being paid more. In, in fact, it is. Yes. Yeah. <gasps> what? Um, so this one is about a banker's bonuses and the Halloween lifting of the banker's bonus cap. <laughs> um, so let me just say, first off, I used to work in a bank, but in the in communications and I would be allowed to attend certain meetings, like board meetings, but just sit in a corner in case there was something to communicate at the end. And if bonuses were going to be discussed, I would have to leave the room. I would I would be told to leave the room and then come back an hour later. Wow. Oh my yeah, yeah, because it was above my pay grade to even be in the room when, when anything was discussed. So very interesting <laughs> to uh, to talk about bankers' bonuses. But this was um, the the whole lifting of it. It's not a Rishi Sunak new idea. This was a Liz Truss quasi cartang thing from last year. But he's going to... He could have he stopped it, it and he's he? going to stick with it. Yeah. If putting ourselves in their shoes for a second, here's what they'd say. They'd say... You know, we've had this cap for a while that was introduced way back in 2014 when there was excessive risk taking and things were, you know, slightly different. And, you know, we've had a real clamp down on that and more regulation. And so if we lift it, we'll attract more talent. We'll attract all of these people who want to come and do huge banking stuff in London. And while they're there, they'll pay tax, you know, and... um you know, that's an argument. There's also an argument that says, actually, banks have got round this anyway, because while bonuses have been capped, mm-hmm. base salary hasn't. So just, you know, they can still absolutely push up base salaries of, of the top bankers, just not the, the bonus, which is, you know, an, an argument as well about is it that effective? But on the other side, the optics of this don't look great. You know, it's we're still in cost of living pressures. To a lot of people, this says, why reward potentially people to to take more risks, to take more risks for, for short-term profit? Because the whole banking thing, stakeholder, um, sorry, taxpayer bailouts that's that's living memory right that's <laughs> you, you know so um yes that's uh i think there is a lot of economic illiteracy about this mm. there's this idea that the money that's going to these people would otherwise be going to food banks or something like they shouldn't be paid this much because that, Ultimately, 
the argument, the capitalist argument behind this is that it doesn't matter if things aren't equal. Equality isn't something we should be striving for. It doesn't make any difference. As long as the people at the bottom are okay, and let's face it, they're probably not at the moment, but as long as the people at the bottom are okay, it doesn't matter how rich the people at the top are. Because that's just the politics of jealousy. If they're paying tax, if they're helping to look after the people who who need government support, who cares if they have a yacht or two yachts? Like, it doesn't make any difference to us if that money isn't public money. If that money is coming, you know, from it would go to the shareholder. If it doesn't go to the, 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 the banker, it would go to the shareholders who are also equally rich. So you're, you're distributing a few million pounds amongst rich people anyway. So yes, the optics of this aren't fantastic and obviously everyone knows how rich Rishi Sunak is and obviously people will make a connection between him and his city chums but I think that changing a policy which I mean you know this is this is one thing they could do they could do another like you know the, the, the but changing this policy has been previously announced because people might not like the optics I don't think makes much makes much sense yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. But the but the second little wheel to it is does the bonus culture in banking lead to more risk taking, which then Well yeah, I mean that that the, the casino yeah. Vince Cable always used to talk about the casino banking. Mm. Um and I think there is I think there are more checks and balances in the system now. I think that it's harder to to do that roll the dice on mm whatever stock and if it comes off you're going to be rich and if it doesn't there's no consequences for you at all i think that there there has been banking reform mm. since then i mean gordon brown put quite a lot of banking reform in after the bailouts of 2008 but i don't i honestly i don't know enough about that mm. so i think it's probably also worth mentioning that the reason this can happen is because we're no longer in the eu and eu has rules about capping bankers' bonuses. So you could say that this is a literal Brexit bonus. Da-da-da. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Like, for the rest of this podcast, we can basically say whatever we want because everyone switched off. <laughs> like, no, they love the joke. They've, um, they've all gone. They've all potted no, off no, to no. Uh, listen to, They were to, like, I don't Charlotte, know. that's the best pun we've heard all week. They're, they're, they're listening to Wagatha Christie stuff. <laughs> now because <laughs> that's more interesting or Another less painful pun. than this <laughs> bye everyone <laughs> right let's move on so we've been talking about rich people tatten the top post of the week can't can't be about rich people can it do you know what's funny this week this week has been um there's been a lot of kind of stuff that socialists could get behind or make like because this this was the eu tax observatory which is part of the paris school of economics and they say that billionaires need to pay more tax is that well okay it's an odd one because no one's heard of the eu tax observatory before and then they make a really obvious point and that's like everyone goes goes wild for it um so billionaires pay roughly uh up to 0.5 percent of their wealth now wealth is not income 
wealth is the money that you've got in the in in the bank or in the Caymans or whatever. So if you've got a billion pounds, then 0.5% of your wealth is a heck of a lot. It's a heck of a lot of money. And and the tax observatory said it should be more like 2%, uh, which would raise globally 205 billion pounds a year. I mean, it's there's not much more to say. They're like, oh, billionaires should pay more <laughs> yeah. tax. And everyone goes, yeah, no, they should. And nothing's going to change and they won't. So... There we go. Yeah, they need the, they need another. Our followers liked it. Yeah, they need another EU body. That's like, how do we make that happen then? Surely. Well, this is this is just some people mm. thinking it's called the EU, but it's like part of a business school, mm. right? Yeah. Like it, like there's no and and famously, I mean, I mentioned the Caymans. They're famously billionaires are really good at not paying tax because mm. they employ a team full time to make them not pay tax uh, and billionaires are global phenomenon and if the eu said you can't yeah well you're gonna have to pay loads more tax they just move their money somewhere else i mean no one has their money in the eu anyway it's in switzerland or the caymans or wherever else and you can you know like roman abramovich bought chelsea primarily to stop them taking his money to stop Russia from sanctioning and taking his money. It was just a, like, you know, how many, however much he spent on it, it was like a, like a safe investment. He didn't really care about the football. Like, I mean, it, it, there's ways around everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's no Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. So uh, my thoughts on Wrexham, <laughs> as you oh, asked. God. Um, <laughs> oh, God. It's another rich guy buying a football club and making it an unfair, giving that football club an unfair advantage and everyone else in League Two. So presumably Rex are going to take one of the promotion spots in League Two going up to League One this season and they're going to do it because they've got a rich owner and all the decent League Two clubs, one of them won't get promoted and won't get those advantages because some rich Hollywood guy and a Disney plus documentary um have made it an unfair playing field so that's my thoughts on the around reynolds interesting analysis yes um before this turns into a sports podcast (laughs) shall we move on yes let's please right time to open the mailbag this is the section where we ask the questions that you have put to us we're going to start Tatten with a question for you. Oh. Rahina has asked, why is the UK unconditionally supporting Israel? Oh, thank you, Rahina. That's a really interesting question. I think the, the initial response from me is that we're not. Like Rishi Sunak uh, and Keir Starmer um, are, both, are both very keen that, um, that we look after the people of Gaza so much better than we are. They've both caused for, called for humanitarian pauses to... The, the 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 excuse me um to the to the conflict uh, so that aid can get in they've both criticized israel for not allowing fuel in as well as water and food they have um both put pressure on uh, israel to stop the blockade um and when Rishi sunak was in israel he was he 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 gave them 
he gave them his full support in defending themselves. Israel has the UK's support to fight Hamas because Hamas have come in to Israel and done some appalling things. That is where they have unconditional support. They do not have unconditional support for other things. Collective punishment, for example, which is what we've heard a lot about, has been criticized heavily by all sides. Um, the breaking of, I mean, breaking of human rights has been criticized by all sides. So the battle against Hamas, who are seen as a, who are a terrorist organization and who have done terrible things, is supported. But a lot of those actions are not supported. That was a good answer and quite succinct for you, Tatton. So. Mm. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Brownie points, well done. I'm Gold always star. succinct. I thought you were being kind today, and now you're not being I kind. I am being kind. I just gave that you a gold kind. star. No, that wasn't a real gold star, was it? That was a mean star. I, I will send it to Is you. Is there in another the post. question? There is another question. Uh, this one I'm going to ask Diane. Oh. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to break it up a <laughs> yeah. bit, you know. You can jump in, Tatton. There's also you one can that I think in. you're going to go on a bit of a lecture on, Tatton, so I'm leaving that one till last. So, Diane. Yes. And I'm, I'm sure Tatton will have thoughts as well. So, last week on the podcast, we talked about proportional representation. Um, based on that, Sherry asks, why don't Scotland use first-past-the-post in their elections, and why don't all nations use the same voting system? Oh, yeah, Diane can definitely oh, have this. Oh, God, this is the... <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is this is a politics A level question if ever I <laughs> Well we don't do anything the same, do we? We don't do anything the same really. Um Scotland and Wales have very similar systems and this is when we're talking about elections to the Senate and elections to the Scottish Parliament, they've got a similar system. And then you've got Northern Ireland and they've got something called single transferable vote, which is different again. And I always find it hilarious to watch Northern Ireland election uh, results because it's like rounds and people get knocked out and eliminated and you're back into more rounds and it, yeah high drama but basically it's because we can and we can do things differently and it's not all the same and you know that is the way it is really but uh we did talk last week and you know how I feel about proportional representation <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know I think the big prize is is changing the Westminster elections or yes yeah. at least putting that on the table or just keeping them the same mm. So mm. it's another option yeah. isn't it just I mean yeah, it's got to be balanced here just for balance <laughs> we could uh, keep them the same <laughs> I think that's my favourite answer ever, though. Why do we do it? Because we can. <laughs> yeah. Because we don't have to yeah. be the same. Why should exactly. we all do things yeah. the same? Yep. Like, and I it's... think uh, people say, and I, I know this is my question, but people say it's confusing for people to have different voting systems. I mean, it's bloody not. Like, people are intelligent. It's, oh, we can't do things two different ways. We can't have breakfast and supper. They have to be the same. <laughs> Like they're not, they're not the same. And 
there'll be people like me who don't really care about the maths. They're just like, okay, who's won? That, mm. like. No, hang on, Charlotte. That's not true. You bloody love the maths. You sit there the following elections. Uh, yes. You, you, yeah, so. Okay, you know, I do, don't, but you don't know. Don't lie to us, the, that's all. That's okay. what I like a bit I, of I, I, love, I love a single transferable vote mm. election, but that's, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's how the kids and I vote for uh, what to watch on TV. <laughs> nice. It's just great. It just, it works. It's nice. Anyway. Question for you, Tatten. Oh, from an honorary Emily. Her Ooh. name's actually Beth. Are but we she doing pointed... that? Yep, yep. Because she she literally wrote to us and said that when she was a kid, she wished her name was Emily because it was a cool girl name. It sounds so... like she's still wishing her mm, name was Emily. A little bit, yeah, hankering. Uh, oh, Beth. Be- I mean, but Beth. That's a great what, name. What a, I mean, what a great name, Beth. You you be proud of your name. Yes. There we go. Some some encouraging words for Beth there. Anyway, on to her question. Yes. Is mandatory voting for anyone over 18 the way to increase voter turnout? And if not, how do we improve turnout for all elections and not just general elections? Ooh. Emily. Beth. (laughs) Mandatory voting. Okay, so is mandatory voting the way to increase voter turnout? If you do mandatory voting, you increase voter turnout. That's without a shadow of doubt. It's also absolute nonsense and terrible and we should never, ever, ever, ever do it. I mean, it's just, it's such a failed state if if you need to force people to vote. And even then, it's not everyone votes because uh, some people are, oh, I'm not going to vote. And then they have to, like, pay a fine. Pay a fine for not voting. Right? It's, 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 it's disgusting because we should make an effort to engage people with politics. We should try. We should... Um, so, uh, Q in my book is called Quick, and it's about the rush at uh, election time the rush at election time to suddenly engage people with stuff and and do voter registration drives this is this is this this, this is a full time occupation it shouldn't just be like 2 months before an election and you quite rightly emily beth you quite rightly said how do we improve turnout for all elections and we do that by making people aware of how important politics is in their lives, look by by highlighting decisions, whether it's a local, you know, you're going to build that playground, are you going to do the potholes, or are you going to do the library? Where's that money going to go? That's a conversation that every single person in this country is interested in. How's the money going to be spent? But we don't talk about politics like that. It's all kind of nebulous and far away. I mean, and so, I mean, simple politics, the political engagement project, right? So obviously I'm quite smug about this because I think that what, what we do helps. I think it helps engage people all year round, all through the five-year cycle. And that's a positive. We need to change the way we do politics we need to actively engage with the public more. MPs will tell you they actively engage all the time, and they do, but they engage with the people who come to their constituency office, or they engage with people who write to them. Those people are going to vote anyway. 
MPs need to be out and about. Councillors need to be out and about talking about the decisions they're taking. And they don't like talking. I'm, I'm, I know I'm ranting now, but they don't like talking about the decisions they're taking because if they do, they'll annoy somebody because someone will think it's the wrong decision. And it's easier and better at election time to have just not told them about the unpopular decision they took. And that's massively detrimental. We need them talking about the decisions they've made, justifying them, so that other people can go, oh, I would have made a different one and justified that. And then you have debate, and it's interesting. And you vote. No one should be forced to vote. Emily, Beth. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> Don't think she's... Um, <laughs> like we just need to change the way politics is done altogether. Absolutely. We need, politics isn't entertainment, but we need to learn from the entertainment industry. I've spoken about it before. I'm going to, this is the last point I'm going to make. I'm, I, I could, the, both Diane and Charlotte are looking at me uh, like, come on, Tat, and shut up. Um, this is the last point, the point I'm going to make. Like, Prime Minister's question time is at lunchtime on a Wednesday. Can you imagine the Premier League putting a big game on at lunchtime on a Wednesday? Can you imagine ITV doing some Anton Deck show at lunchtime on a Wednesday? That's not when people are watching. If we're going to make an effort to engage people, we need to put it at a time when people are going to be able to watch it. It would get millions of views. It gets like like a few million views already. Let's get it out there. Let's put it places where people can see, where people can be engaged, where it counts. And then maybe then people will turn up for elections. Who knows? We can try. That wasn't succinct, but it was still more succinct than I was expecting it to be. So you get half a gold star for that. Well done. Thank you very much. Fifty um, house points, not quite. Fifty a house points. And uh, Emily Beth, thank you very much for uh, the question. I it's obviously one of my favourite topics. So thank you. Final question, very serious, very important, from James, who asks: If Parliament was steps, what party would H be? Who's taking that one? That's you, Charlotte. But before, uh, Diane, Diane, <laughs> you. Di- no, Diane's no. going to take it. But what I love about this, because we got, we have got a script. It may sound like we don't, but we have got a script. And uh, there's four questions on it. The four we've had, and uh, under the voting one, Charlotte has put brackets. We can cut this one if we want. Close brackets, and then the steps one is like we're not cutting this. This is the important one. I think um, so. uh, This is incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte, tell us. Tell us. Do you know James? Is is James? No, No, James. James asked a question last week. Right. A very sensible question last week, which we answered. Wow. And then asked us a a jokey with it this week, and I don't want to let down James. Fair fair dues, but I think you're you're the um, steps expert uh, in within the team. Well, if I must take Mm. it. I mean, I don't want to prescribe a party onto anyone. So instead, I have um, picked my fantasy cabinet if they were made up of steps. So if I were prime minister, <laughs> Claire would be my deputy prime minister because I'd, I'd want her as my right-hand woman. She could just sing to me all the time. Lee would be health secretary because he's, he's a personal trainer. He's got a web fitness magazine. Faye would be chancellor because she just gives me very sensible vibes and I don't understand math, so... I don't know if she does either, but she gives me sensible vibes. Lisa, I'd put in charge of the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Um, and H, the one you really want to know about, James, I'd put him as Foreign Secretary. 
because he's welcoming. He just seems really lovely. He'd be good at like all the partying and socialising that you have to do as a diplomat. And so there you go. I didn't quite answer your question, but that is my fantasy steps cabinet. And if any of the members of steps are listening, write in. Let us know what you'd like to be, what, what your role would be. Also, don't write in because I'd be like, oh my God, and terrified. Anyway, there you go. <sighs> that was very well prepared. Well done. Yes. Can you tell I've got a big deadline tomorrow? <laughs> Look, if Tatton can have his little sports rant, I can have my steps rant. Diane, you can get a rant in later if you want. But first, we're going to move on to PM Watch. So, final week of Parliament before they have a break to prepare for the King's speech. Um, so, what's Rishi been up to? Tatton. I mean, he's, 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 been, he's been a busy boy. Um, <clears throat> sorry. He's been a busy boy. He uh, He's celebrated anniversary. He's been a Prime Minister for a year. And... That's really important because he will say that he steadied the ship. What during that year he took over the time of turmoil, he steadied the ship, and then next year he's going to prove what a real Rishi Sunak prime ministerial government is going to look like, ready for the next election, which I think is like going to be exactly a year today. And so that's that. That's the fascinating thing there. But he's been off. He's been off in in Israel. And he's, I mean, there's been a lot of being a statesman. Personally, I think he's, while you may or may not agree with the message he's giving, he has looked very statesmanlike. He has been calm but effective in his speeches. He's, he's sending, he's sending 20 million pounds extra aid to Gaza. And that's on top of the 10 million pounds he announced last week. So he's, he's properly putting his money where his mouth is and protecting Gaza as well. And he's been in the state in in the commons giving statements and he's been in the commons doing PMQs. It's been, yeah, it's been a busy week. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we last recorded, people were voting, weren't they in, by-elections in Tamworth and amid beds and then on the Friday we had the results of that that didn't quite make the podcast last time but it was two defeats for the Conservative. Labour took both of those seats. Much was made about you know the big majorities being overturned but the voter turnout it's such a cyclical discussion we're having now because the voter turnout in those by-elections was pretty low and Conservative Party Chair Greg Hans was doing a lot of the media management on the Friday morning when the results had come through. He was the one on the radio, he was on the Today programme, he was the one in all the t- television studios. And his his stance on the whole thing was, turnout was so low that it is more. it says more about Conservative voters who stayed at home then it does about mm-hmm. people being hungry for Keir Starmer's vision of of Britain, and but that's Greg Hans's take on it. That that's what he said. I mean, it, it is true that um, Labour lost votes mm. in one of the two. Labour got fewer votes this time than they did in the general election when they got hammered. So that you could suggest that that I mean, with a lower turnout, you might expect a lower total. Mm. But you could also suggest that the, that the people who voted Labour wanted to vote Labour because they wanted to make sure they overturned that uh, huge deficit, that huge uh, majority from the other side. But you've also got the the the, the 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 Conservatives who just didn't 
didn't bother, mm. didn't want it. Yeah. So we'll see in a year's time. This this is not a done deal with this election. I mean, it's still looks like Labour going to win it, but it's not a done deal. Uh, on the mid beds, uh, Rishi Sunak. Um, amazingly, it's worth mentioning. He made a good joke in PMQs. He yeah. said he'd like to welcome the Labour, the Labour, uh, the new Labour MP, and he said, "I think I'll get more support from you than I did from Nadine Doris," uh. um, which was. Uh, uh, Charlotte and I were were were, were having we were like, oh, having well, a laugh an at that. Actual good joke, yeah. An actual, yeah. I mean, clearly he didn't write it, but it was still there. Nice one, nice one, Rishi. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I did that. Right, so that's what's happened this week. Let's move forward to our crystal ball. What will be happening in the next week, Tatten? Okay, so next week I'm going to get really cross about all the nonsense around the King's Speech. So that's going to happen in uh, next week's podcast. So mm-hmm. if you don't like me ranting, <laughs> you might want to give that one skip a skip. A week. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but this week they're just preparing like the whole palace of westminster there's no part there's no, nothing's happening in parliament next week despite all the stuff that's happening mm. nothing's happening in parliament so they can prepare for the king to pop in i mean how do you close somewhere for somewhere really important for a whole week because someone's pitching up like, yeah, just I, uh, like in the email, I was like, "Yeah, my parents came around the other day. It took me three hours to sort the house out, but it took you know it was still done. And they've got more cupboards in Parliament to like shove all their stuff into, so it doesn't look like it's messy. They've, like, mm. who knows? Who knows what 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 they're doing? I mean, presumably, like Guy Fawkes, you know, had something to do with this. And actually, uh, the King, the, the, it was state opening Parliament when when Guy Fawkes did his bomb." And uh, the state open of parliament this year is the 7th of November. So it's eerily close. So they might want to do a double check because of the date. Of the gunpowder um, barrels, just in case. Because the gunpowder, <laughs> yeah, like, who knows? Who knows what's, what's lurking down there? So uh, my crystal ball is that it's going to be quite quiet. Fun. Yeah. Fun. Well, Diane. yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be really, really quiet. But one thing that, you know, because we don't have parliament might kind of rise to the fore is bubbling away in the background. We have the COVID inquiry that's going on till Christmas. And I guess that might be something that um, reporters and journalists have a look at next week because it's focusing on the government's decision making and there could be some... Uh, some things to come out of that. Um, Do you know what stage they're at? Because they were looking at decision making running up to, to lockdown. Uh, lockdown. Yeah. Are we now Pass. in lockdown yeah. one? Yeah. 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 So, and you, you've got core decisions. all the people that we once saw on a very, very regular basis um, will, will yeah, be yeah. appearing next week. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting to see, mm. wouldn't it? Um, and it's all live streamed, so if you're interested in that, it's it's all live streamed on YouTube. If formal inquiries are your thing, as they are ours. So, that's all we have time for this week. 
I say that as if we haven't already run over. But we'll be back next week with more goings on. So in the meantime, please visit spstuff.co.uk. Oh yeah, smooth, smooth. I like <laughs> it. I like it. Did my best. Both people um, still listening are definitely going to go now. They're the hardcore people. So yeah, they will. We love you hardcore people. So that's it. Thank you, Tatan and Diane. Uh, and see you next week. Bye. See you next week. Thanks. Thank bye, you. Bye. 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 just heard a stripped media production.